You are listening to 89.5 FM KOPN Columbia, Mid-Missouri's source for in-depth news, diverse talk and music of the world. It is so much more than radio. It is your community radio on the web at kopn.org. And this is Speaking of the Arts. Good morning and welcome to Speaking of the Arts, Mid-Missouri's only weekly art show. My name is Diana Moxon and I am so thrilled that we get to spend the next hour together on a tour of the arts. For the past two years, the pre-Christmas Speaking of the Art show has been a big old KOPN studio party with five or six arts leaders crammed into the air room all talking about the highlights of the arts year. But this year, because COVID, that wasn't possible. So instead, over the next two shows, today and December the 25th, Happy Christmas, everybody, and you're welcome. I'll be chatting to seven people involved with the arts to find out what arts moments moved them in 2020 and what reflections they have back on the year. I know that each of my guests recognises that talking about arts highlights is taking place at a time where the country has lost over 300,000 family and friends, where many people are struggling with isolation and depression. And our healthcare and frontline workers continue to work beyond breaking point. At some level, talking about the arts feels frivolous. But I know from the many, many conversations I have had this year with artists, art leaders and the friends I see on social media, that the arts have more than ever this year given shape to our days, connected us with each other given us moments of respite and joy and helped us through the darkness. And to all of the artists and art leaders who have soldiered on, on days when their hearts were heavy, thank you for all you have done this year. Thank you for finding light in your heart to share with us and to lift us. So, Let's head out on today's tour. We've got stops planned at Skylark Bookshop, the Columbia Art League, Talking Horse Productions and with Columbia Tribune arts writer Eric Danielson. I hope you all have a cup of steaming coffee and a cheeky mince pie in hand and that you are sitting comfortably. Once upon a time, there was a bookshop in Columbia, Missouri, owned by Alex George. Good morning, Alex. Hi, Diana. How are you today? I am well. Now, in a year of lemons, not only did you make lemonade, but you made lemon drop martinis with lemon frosted lemon cake and you released a much lauded novel, The Paris Hours. So in a year where there were more troughs than peaks, what were some of your peaks? Well, that's a really interesting question. I mean, you know, we have all been faced with many challenges this year that we never thought we would ever have to encounter. And one of the joys of all of it has been the the, the successful sort of meeting of those challenges, I guess. Um, you know, they always say that uh, necessity is the, the mother of invention. And uh, we certainly, all of us in different ways, have had to 
find new ways of doing things. And, uh, you know, we've been no different to the bookshop and uh, booksellers all across the country have had similar kinds of experiences and trying to change, you know, do pivots um, and multiple pivots often during the course of the year. So that the, the business model is uh, very different now to what it was four months ago and very different now to what it was eight months ago. So we've had to be very flexible. And there's been a a lot of um, satisfaction, I guess, in in sort of successfully negotiating those kinds of challenges. Um, And I guess just the, although we can't be together, there's a different kind of community that has grown up, certainly in the world of books, you know, a lot of people are doing online events. And um, one of the benefits of that is that it's actually much easier to connect in that way. So I, I had a, a two-week book tour that was cancelled in May. But in fact, I ended up probably speaking to more people from my bedroom <laughs> <laughs> through through the magic of the internet than I would have done if I'd actually climbed on, I don't know how many planes and trekked all across the country to various different bookshops. And much as I would have loved to have done that and to meet people in person, there are always silver linings. And the fact that I was able to, for example, do an event in the Bay Area on one evening and then be in Provincetown, Massachusetts the following evening, which is something that I did. I mean, I could have done that in real life, but it would have just about killed me. So it's <laughs> uh, it has given the opportunity to connect to more people, albeit in a different way. And that's that's been tremendously fulfilling. How do you think book selling might change after this year? Well, that's a very interesting question. And that's a discussion that we're having all the time at Skylark. We're trying to work out, as I think everybody is in every business, what are the the good things and the innovations that have come from all of this that we're going to want to keep once things return to normal? And certainly for us, you know, we've had tremendous success with the online events that we've been doing. And while I think that everyone's looking forward to being able to congregate in the shop again and do that and have have books signed in person i do think that there is some stuff like even if it's just streaming the event to an online forum i think that would be useful so that's that's certainly something that we'll be we'll be looking to do and the other thing that we have had to do because of everything that's happened is you know we we now have as i think you know an e-commerce website which is something that we always promise ourselves we would never do because the whole point was well you know come in come in and talk to us um but since coming in and talk to us was you know not as easy as it used to be we decided that we had to make it easier for our customers and so we've done that and obviously that's not going to go away and that's just a new a new sort of facet to our business so yeah as i say we've we've been forced to pivot and improvise and um some of the things that we have come up with we will definitely be keeping Looking at the sales for the year, do you think that you've sold more books this year than you might have done simply because people are a, a lot of people have more time on their hands, they can order online? Have you seen, I mean, it's difficult to know because you don't know what you would have sold had it not been a pandemic year, but how do, how do you think book sales tally with what you'd expect? Well, I can tell you that overall within the industry, book sales are much, much lower than they have been in previous years, which is largely a function of people not being able to go into bookshops. I mean, our doors were physically locked for months on end. And there was a time when we weren't even allowed to do curbside pickups. So we actually got into our cars at the end of the day and drove around the town delivering books to people. Um, So, you know, when 
people can't walk into shops, then clearly it makes it difficult to shop. So overall, the trend has not been a healthy one. And there are reports in the book industry. I mean, at least one independent bookstore has gone out of business every week since the pandemic began. So it is not a rosy picture by any means, despite all of the innovation, all of the grist and determination that many booksellers have shown. There are times when, you know, sheer economics or math or whatever you want to call it, simply it just it doesn't work. Mm. For us, we have remained more or less um, on a par with last year, for which we are eternally grateful. You know, we have received incredible support from the community who um, have called us up and asked for books and puzzles and anything else we can sell them. And uh, we've been we've been thrilled about that. And the other thing that's been really wonderful is that we've also been receiving orders from all across the country. I think you know, people everywhere recognize the value that independent booksellers uh, have in their communities. And so we've received support from all 50 states and we've been shipping things all across the country. So it's been a really inspiring and rather humbling experience to to see and to, to realize just that people do value what we're trying to do here. And that, that's been that's been wonderful. What books have you found solace and joy in this year? What are some of your book highlights of the year? Well, I have many. Um, I mean, the book that I'm talking about a lot right now, appropriately, is called Wintering. And it's by Catherine May. And she was actually, she came to Skylark virtually the week before last. And we had a conversation. It, and it's just, it's an absolutely beautiful book. And the wintering in the in the title uh, relates to the sort of fallow periods that we all go through from time to time. And what Catherine May argues in this book very beautifully and persuasively to my mind, is that rather than looking at these winters that we all go through as just being things to suffer through and wait until you emerge at the other side, there's actually a far more constructive thing that we can do and there are lessons to be learnt. There's a sort of recharging process that can be undergone. And I mean, it couldn't be a more perfect book for these times as we all uh, are wintering in our own way right now. So so that has been a book that, that I have, um, I mean, I've read it twice so far. And I know I'm going to be reading it again before too much longer. Another book that I absolutely loved this year, an, another English writer, <laughs> I think coincidentally, but I don't know, uh, <laughs> is uh, Intimations by Zadie Smith. And this is a very thin book of essays. And she wrote them all this year. She wrote them once the pandemic began. And anyone who saw Zadie Smith when she came to Unbound a couple of years ago, and she just held the Missouri Theatre absolutely enthralled by her absolutely enormous brain. She's so, so smart and one of our most interesting thinkers, as well as being a, a stupendously good writer. And I just loved just reading her thoughts about this complete, I say unique, I'm hopefully I've got my fingers crossed, unique situation. And she just brought a perspective to it that was very humane, very smart, and also very funny. And again, that's a book that I will be returning to again and again. And I also read this year for the first time, a book of essays by Mary Oliver called Upstream, which again, brought me enormous personal joy. And it's a collection of various 
thoughts and, and essays that she's written and pieces, but a lot of them centre upon, not all of them, some of them are sort of based on their sort of literary criticism, but most of them, the ones I remember the most and that I enjoyed the most, are based on her ramblings, for want of a better word, in terms of in nature. And she goes out and she wanders along the seashore with her dogs. And she has this incredible ability to notice everything and to draw meaning from everything. Uh, and again, it's just another beautiful book that, you know, in these times, I think it could everybody could benefit from reading. So looking back over this year, what would you say have been the dominant themes or stories that have, have really captivated the book buying world well i think the biggest story of the year from the the perspective of booksellers was the explosion of anti-racist books non-fiction anti-racist book that took place in the summer following the killing of of george floyd i don't think anybody was ready for it we had had all of those titles in stock in respectable numbers ever since they had been published but Every single copy went out and we couldn't keep anything on the shelves. And there was this extraordinary hunger to consume books, and not just one, but I mean, many, many, many books. I think there was a time when the New York Times nonfiction list was something like eight or nine of the top 10 books were anti-racist books of some nature. And uh, that was a phenomenon that was extraordinary and that I think people will will certainly book says will remember for a long time. And that that demand has it's waned a little bit, but we are still selling a great number of those kinds of books. Well, I noticed that Skylark just got a new award from the Boone County Department of Public Health and Human Services as a COVID <laughs> crusher for doing your yes. utmost to keep us safe during the pandemic. So congratulations and thank you so much for all you've done this year to keep me reading. Oh, thank you, Diana. Ready for some fine art? Let's hop over to the Columbia Art League. I will always have a special place in my heart for the Columbia Art League. It was my introduction to our fabulous arts community and over my 11 years there I made so many wonderful friends. And like any mother handing her beloved over to the next <laughs> caregiver, I was anxious about who would be rifling through my files until I knew it was going to be Kelsey Hammond and then I was nothing but delighted. And I have to say over the course of this year as I've seen all of my arts pals perform technical contortions week after week, I have often thought, thank goodness it is Kelsey handling this and not me. Good morning, Kelsey. Good morning. Make me cry in the morning. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> so it probably isn't the first full year that you expected in your new job, but it is one that has tested everybody in the arts. But per aspera ad astra, as Latin <laughs> scholars and Kansans like to say. So what are some of the stars you have reached through this year's adversity and hardships? I mean, I think that like anyone who practices yoga, the, the whole <laughs> point of it really is to deepen the stretch, right? And be more <laughs> flexible. So I think that not only just with my own, you know, with, with the Columbia Art League and our members and our supporters and, and everybody, with all of the arts, I've seen so much flexibility. And I think that that's the thing that really has been um, such a great lesson, you know, sort of like, I feel like that I, in my career, have... I've always been a working person. I have children and all that stuff, but I've always like really been proud of how much I like to work and I really love to get things done. I love talking to people and all the things, but this has really made me think 
more deeply and it's made me pause a little bit more and it's made me think harder about how I can do things. And so as someone who's also a nerd and likes to, you know, dive deep into different subjects and learn more, I think that this has been a really good time to practice my flexibility and my strengthening and then also think about how we can truly appreciate what's around us. And what is that meaningful connection that we're making with people? So I think that's where, that's where I feel the most shiny, you know, is where it's, <laughs> is the art league and sort of like, you know, we're just, we're just keeping going. And that feels somehow um, miraculous, even though it's sort of, you know, putting one foot in front of the other, it's trudging and miraculous at the same time. So what have you been thinking more deeply about? I I really have been thinking a lot about tradition and sort of what that word means. And in light of this year of social justice and social unrest and um, election things and, you know, all of the other things that are going around, the pandemic is one piece. And then there's also all of this other stuff that's all of the band-aids have been ripped off. You know, we're sort of looking at everything a little bit deeper, at least I hope so. And I, I just really, if nothing else, you know, I, I, with the flexibility, I want to make sure that I'm not holding on to traditions so tightly that it somehow is, I don't know, harming someone else. You know, that I think in, in this idea of, of just like pivoting and pirouetting, as we keep saying, I want to make sure that everyone is benefiting from what we're doing and not just the same old, same old. And I think that that's really looking at, well, what do we always do? Well, it's tradition. We do this. Even like your family holiday celebrations, a lot of people have had to celebrate differently this year. And that's okay. Some people have spent the first, their first Christmas in their own house with their own tree that they've gotten for the first time. People had to figure out how to cook turkey by themselves for the <laughs> first time, you know. And it's not just about growing up. It's about making your own traditions or figuring out your own space. So I think that, um, I, think that I, I never want to get trapped up into, but that's how we've always done it. I want to make sure that we're always looking, well, what audience do we need to bring in? How do we reach those people? What are we doing to make ourselves the most flexible? And I don't ever want to say, well, no, because that's just not how we do it. You know, I want to think, but can we do it that way? And and think about it. Maybe we can't, but, but if we can, or we can find a way, or we can work with a new group of people, I want to continue that. I want that to be what I take forward from all of this is the reaching out is always there, you know, and the bringing in is always there. Because I think that's the piece that has really settled with me the most is that I've really heard people's stories this year, I really listened to where they are and what they've experienced. And it has changed the makeup of me. So I know that it's changed the makeup of the art league, and it's changed the makeup of the arts community here in town, and, you know, with everything that we're doing. So, so thinking purely of Columbia Art League moments this year, what have been some of the highlights for you? I think, you know, we were so excited about our new fundraiser that we started called the Patrons Party. And the show was hung. And it was, it was sort of like the next big thing after True False. And, and then we had to, uh, the show was still hung, but we were not able to have the actual physical party. But what I got to do was have sort of two extremely long Zoom days with all of the people who had purchased tickets. And so the idea is you buy a ticket and then you get to take an artwork home with you off the wall. And so in that traditional idea, it was going to be that we're at a party and then you could pick the piece off of the wall and then people could kind of see what you took and be like, oh man, that's what I wanted. Or, you know, like just kind of like have a good fun time looking at art and, and chatting and things. But what I got to do was really connect with the people who purchased tickets and, and being a new director here, 
I'm still getting to know everybody, you know, and so that was a really nice time to kind of let people see my personality and see that I'm very silly and kind of a jackass. <laughs> and just to kind of really talk and to get a look into people's homes. Like your, your in-laws showed me some of their art that they have in their kitchen, you know, and it was just delightful. So I really enjoyed that personal connection with people that I probably wouldn't have gotten to certainly see inside their homes so quickly in my tenure here. So <laughs> Is there any particular pieces of art that have captured you this year or stood out for you? I know you can't choose favorites because you know, no, of you know, course. So it's like amongst the <laughs> art that you've yeah, seen yeah. this year, are there any particular ones that stand out? Well, you know, I think that Stacy Pottinger's show that was in our South Gallery was had pictures of children with masks on. I think that was powerful and there was a, you know, certain, certain artworks were related directly to what we're experiencing. Um, <laughs> Dennis Murphy has a piece in the show right now that's an empty box with a bunch of empty toilet paper rolls in it, which is just sort of, you know, his work is very <laughs> absurdist and, and hilarious. And so I love that sort of silliness. But also then a, a sculpture of, you know, sort of the idea of Sisyphus pushing up the, the rock up the mountain. It's like there's a big coronavirus that a person's trying to push up this, you know, mountain and out of bronze, you know, so... I think there's been a lot of pieces like that, but also just some really um, some beautiful landscapes that you can kind of get lost in and remember that we can go outside and that we still have that. So there's a lot of there are a lot of things that come to mind when I think about the pieces that, you know, I certainly think of the ones that remind me of the time we're living in, but then also the ones that are sort of through lines to all of our experience, the universal pieces that always resonate. And I think the figure show in particular it was probably my favorite show we've put together. I thought it was beautiful and, and the work and it was stellar. Yeah. From the conversations you have had with artists, do you think that the pandemic as a theme is going to continue through art or do you think people want to escape from it more than they want to dive into it? I think with any sort of huge thing that happens, certainly with like 9-11 or, or whatever, I think the re repercussions in quotes will be felt long term. So do I think that everyone's going to be making art about masks? No, not necessarily forever, you know, but that will be our reality for quite some time. So I wonder if we're going to be seeing that in TV and movies and in, you know, not just in terms of the visual paintings and, and photography and things, but what are we going to be seeing as like, how will this affect our culture in general? You know, will this be something that we are like, yeah, this is what it looks like now. Like if, well, anyway, there's a tangent to go on about Snapchat and filters and how there's <laughs> always been like masks that you can put on yourself. And I never understood it until now, but I realized that a lot of those things are developed in other countries where they're wearing masks more often, you know, so it makes more sense to me now. Um, but I, I think that, yes, I think that people will be making work about it, but I don't know if it'll be so, like, well, there's a mask in the middle of this painting, something like that as we go forward. But I think there's going to be a lot of work about separation and but joy about people coming together and probably solitude and silence. And some of the some of the things that, again, that flexibility and that deepening our stretch that we've really worked on, I think that's going to come through in a lot of the work. I'm hoping for some really cool artworks we're going to see in the gallery coming up this next year. We have a couple shows kind of based around sort of corona <laughs> virus and how it's affected us but but yeah it'll be interesting to see even 10 years from now how it how it's infiltrated our collective unconscious if you could send a message back to your february self what would you tell her about this year uh, well i think i would say um 
you've got this kid. (laughs) 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 I think I would, I think I would um, say it is what it is. And that is how we kind of have to move through and that people will support you because not that I didn't think they would, but I I just didn't know. I'm new at this job and, and new in this place and things are, things feel unsettled. So it's a little hard to feel like I've totally got this when I've been like, yep, I'm totally learning this, you know? <laughs> so I think that that's, that's where it is. But I think I would just, I would just say like, it's, it's okay. People will be there and you got this. Has the pandemic in any way, it's hard to think of something so awful having a positive, but has it in any way been a muse for you both as an artist and an arts leader? Certainly as an artist, I take half days off every now and again, or I'd love to say I take an entire day off, but that isn't quite true, but that's okay. Where I will go out with my camera and I will just like, go to a small town or I'll, I'll, one, I just pull off the side of the road on like a small little lane sometimes out in the country and I'll just photograph something. And for me, that process has always been very contemplative and private, but I will just go out and if I see how light is hitting something, I'll pull over and I'll make some photographs. And I think that that I've done that with much more intentionality this year. Well, since this has happened, because I think that idea of like slowing down is really important. And I think my mind tends to race, especially if I don't know what's going to be happening, which of course nobody can know. So I've really tried to, you know, I don't know if any of it is stuff that I really think is worth showing people or whatever, but I think that just the process of getting out there and doing it and making sure that I'm holding myself accountable to make work that has been really helpful. And it's kept me really sane, especially when I'm feeling kind of trapped with my children and family. (laughs) So, um, so that's, I love them, of course, but uh, I think that's been really good. Have you seen your children also make art, obviously, because you're an artist and it's in the house. Have you seen their art change much this year? Yeah, my daughter is um, really interested in, she likes drawing people as also sort of animal people. So she's like very interested in cats. So um, she just drew a self-portrait of herself where she has, she's sort of part cat, part human. And, um, but some of her pieces that she's been doing, the people have masks on. So, and she's always, she's always drawn people with different skin colors and different hairstyles and stuff. So she's, she's always sort of incorporated that, but now I'm seeing a little bit more of mask culture in quotes coming into her, her work and um, my son's work is so interesting because he's very, he's a lover. He just loves people. And so a lot of his work, he's really into Pokemon. And so, of course, he draws all that sort of stuff too. But he draws like a lot of families and he draws a lot of animal families together. And there's always, they're always doing something together. So there's a lot of that, you know, he's living that. But yeah, I think it is affecting their art. Not in ways that I think are totally out there, but I, I see it changing a little bit since they've been home. Well, Kelsey Hammond, Executive Director of the Columbia Art League. You've got this, kiddo. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) I appreciate it. From you, it means everything, truly. Thanks, Kelsey. Thank you. When I was Director of the Columbia Art League, I always looked forward to speaking to Eric Danielson at the Columbia Daily Tribune. And now I get to speak to him and turn the tables. Good morning, Eric. Good morning. I feel that these days you and I have a kinship in that we are both constantly surveying the art scene and poking around behind the arts curtain to find hidden perspectives or wider truths or motivations. And for a while this year, I guess we both just looked at this total and immediate devastation and thought, what happens now? (laughs) But then in what seemed like just a fraction of time, all these 
arts flowers started to sprout up and the landscape looked both familiar and yet altered. So thinking back to those early days after lockdown, when stages globally went dark, what were your thoughts? Yes, well, that's a great question. <laughs> I I mean, I, as, a, as a reporter, my first thoughts were, what in the world am I going to write about um, until this thing is over? Not knowing that over uh, was a very fast and loose term. Mm. Um, and as, I mean, obviously as someone who just loves the arts, I, I was worried for the people I know and, and just thinking about all of these beautiful structures that have been set up to allow these things to flourish. Um, but I think the two things, as I kind of look back at the year, the two things that really strike me that that came out of this one was just an emphasis and this is what I did a lot of in, in my work for the Tribune was you know an emphasis on on even before you know people started streaming performances you know what what's the art that we can turn to even in the comforts or or maybe in the confines this year of our own home that can really encourage us and, and keep us going. And so I, I spent a lot of time writing about music and, and books because those are always, you know, on hand. But then it really became such a wonderful thing to watch people whose entire livelihoods have been made on solving problems creatively, catch their breaths and, and get back to doing that and finding new ways to to present the things that they love. And so I'm an optimist on some level, but I'm also not a silver linings guy. I don't want to necessarily take all of this suffering and all of this struggle and say, here are the good things that came out of it. But, um, you know, there were some really beautiful things that happened and, and it was cool to see how the arts still do what they do, uh, even when they're, you know, maybe have a hand tied behind their back or, or have all these other, these other hurdles to face. So thinking of those beautiful times, what has stood out for you this year as particular events or moments? Yeah, I mean, I think on a, you know, on a level that occurs every year, I would say, I mean, there are those moments of discovery, you know, when you just discover new music or discover a great book, you know, I look, and I think locally, I think about an album like Ray Fitzgerald's EP, Lonely Listener, which she's been making great work out of Missouri for, you know, a decade or more. And just how that was one of those albums for me this year that I listened to and said, you know, I don't know how she knows, but she knows what I'm feeling and and, and how these things strike us. Um, I think about reading a great book like Steve Wigenstein's Scattered Lights, which is a short story collection he published this year. He's a, a Columbia author and and just being kind of caught up in those characters and doing what great fiction does, which is taking you out of your own world and yet making you not feel alone at the same time as you as you recognize yourself in the characters. But then yeah, I mean, on the level of just like kind of having to start from scratch, you know, I don't I it's hard for me to pinpoint a single moment, but I just appreciate so much all the conversations that I had with people around Columbia, whether it was, you know, folks at Ragtag and True False or folks like Alex George or, or people like Liz Palmieri at Greenhouse, just how people were saying, okay, this is the hand that we have and we can't do anything but play this hand. So we're going to just reinvent. We have to reinvent. And, and it, it was just such a, a great reminder that maybe I don't always recognize in, in kind of what we would call quote unquote normal years 
that the arts are all about reinvention. They're always about taking who you are and finding a new way to present yourself or finding a new way to drill deeper into your own abilities and your own, um, you know, your own spirit, uh, I guess, for lack of a better word. And so I don't know, there, there's just been so many little moments. I feel like this year hasn't been one, at least artistically for me, of big moments, but it's been one of just these little recognitions and seeing people shine through their work, even if there are <laughs> lots of factors culturally that are trying to maybe obscure that that shining coming through. What conversations have you had with arts leaders or arts creators that have really stood out for you in some way that's maybe a little different than usual? I think I'm trying to, I'm having a hard time thinking of a specific one, but there were just so many little moments within conversations, you know, like um, talking to Elise over at the Office of Cultural Affairs and her just talking about this is this is what we're doing to help artists, but this is also what we don't know. You know, I'm so grateful for times in life. We're always all, all trying to project this confidence all the time that we don't really have. And I'm kind of grateful sometimes for the times in life where, where we all just tell each other, like, I don't really know. This is my best guess, you know? And so there, there were those kind of moments or as I talked to um, people like Stacey Pottinger and David Wilson with with True False and with Ragtag, and as they begin to re-envision what next year's festival might look like, just hearing in David's voice a familiar sound to me, but you know, in a in a very different context of, of course, not being happy with what's happening, but also wanting to rise to the challenge of reinventing the festival, wanting to say, we've always been kind of afraid to rest on our laurels and we want to be rethinking things always. And this year just forces us to do that in a different way. And just hearing in his voice, that desire to like really meet the moment. Um, you know, it's just those kind of little things where you hear people, you almost hear them kind of mustering up their courage within, (laughs) within the space of a conversation. And I, I feel really, privilege to be in a position where I'm privy to those conversations more more often than than most people are. I agree. And I think that for me, just time and again, all year, I have been awed and humbled and amazed at the incredible spirit of perseverance and this ability of our arts leaders just to face this head on with the best of their ability and to, like all of us, just kind of stumble through it, but keeping us engaged this whole time in so many in so many different ways, whether it's Alex and Carrie driving books to people during lockdown for things they'd ordered or, or streaming movies at Ragtag and then all getting together on, what's it called? That um, Is it Twitch? Oh, I think so. Yeah. Is it Twitch where you can go and comment and people are kind of together? And so these ways that we've managed to be together while apart, amazing theatre shows that I've seen where people have really responded to the medium, like Greenhouse Theatre Project. That's been so amazing to watch Elizabeth and all of their cast use this medium to such great effect. I'm wondering from your perspective, what stories or themes have really been this thread through this year that you've kept coming back to or people have kept coming back to? Yeah. Well, one thing I wanted to say too that that I was thinking about just now is that I'm reminded too that none of these people owed us any of this, right? Right. Like, um, you know, there's so much talk when, 
<laughs> in the last four years, you know, when, when politics have been upside down or, you know, when a pandemic happens like this and people say, oh, we're going to get such great art out of this. And I appreciate that on some level. That's what artists always do as they rise to the times and respond. But artists are <laughs> real people living in these times and they're, they're pressed just like everybody else. And they're trying to, you know, get their kids on zoom school while trying to create just like so many other people and, and all of these things. So I, I'm just struck by the idea that none of these people owed us this, but they just did what they do, you know, and that, that really means a lot to me. Um, I, I've had my moments of creative bursts this year, but also uh, moments where I'm like, I don't know that I can put another word on paper. And, and so I know, I know what that's like. And I, and I really appreciate that. But to your question, you know, themes that keep coming back, I, I think it is just, I mean, this sounds so basic, but it's just that desire for connection. It's that idea that the arts are always kind of letting out this length of rope to tether us to other people. And we've needed that so much more than we ever realized maybe. And, and maybe it's just bringing to the surface this need that we maybe are able to kind of ignore or explain away in, in other moments. And And so just as I think about, you know, I was even just talking the other day to, to Quinn Gresham about what they're doing with A Christmas Carol this year at, at Arrow Rock Lyceum Theater. And just this idea that like he knows that it's not the same, that they don't have an audience in the theater. They're going to be doing this wonderful kind of uh, you know filmed production. He knows that it's not the same. And yet there is something in him that wants to do the best he can to find that connection to, to encourage that communal event to, to make sure that people know that there are other human beings on the, on out there that, that are, are going through the same things and feeling the same feelings. And, and so I guess that's, that to me is like the, the overarching theme that has kind of threaded through this year is just, we can't connect the ways that we have in the past but we're still going to connect and we're, we're still going to artists are still going to create these vehicles for you to at least get a taste of it. You know, if you can't have everything that you want, if you can't be with the, all the people that you want, if it can't look like what you would desire, at least you're going to get something to tide you over. And I just, I, that's such a selfless, beautiful thing that those people have done to make that possible. But I know it also feeds their souls. It also gives them a little taste of what they need to get by. And I'm, I'm just, just as somebody who loves this this stuff, it's I'm grateful for that. Have you been to any real life events this year? Not since True False. Yeah, that was the last thing that I've done. I mean, I've I've streamed things and I've watched things and I've um, all of that, but um, no, I mean, True False is the last thing really that I've been at. We've our family, you know. I know everybody's on a spectrum with this stuff. We've been on the more conservative side of things, I think, as far as distancing and and all of that. And so, you know, I still, I mean, literally every week I have a conversation with a friend where we sit back and and remark that it's amazing that we got to do true false this year. And that, that was the last thing that we had done. And so, yeah, I mean, I've, I've seen a few people in person for uh, masked and distanced interviews and that sort of thing. But as far as actually being on the grounds of a, of an event, I really haven't been to anything. So it's, um, I miss it more than I probably even recognize a lot of days, but yeah, it's been, it's definitely been more of a desert sort of year for me in that way. Like you, I haven't been to, I think I did go to one thing at Stevens Lake Park. There was a Talking Horse Productions and the Stable Boys did a, an event in the amphitheater. We, you know, everybody was way spaced apart. It was the hottest day of the year. It was really 
particularly difficult. I only went in the evening because it was just too hot in the afternoon. But they'd been out there. Audra Sergal had had sung. There'd been some music, and then there was the uh, performance. And that was so amazing for this one day in the middle of summer to suddenly see people in in person, distanced in a park. But still, it was such a joy to actually behold an arts event in person. Yeah. But I have seen really amazing events online and and yes sometimes you sit through them and they and they don't feel great but you want to be there and you want to support them but at other times i have seen events that have really defied the limitations of this virtual medium and i'm wondering what you have seen that you felt really defied the medium or embraced it maybe yeah that's a great question um the first two things that come to mind, one is local and one is not, but it's a little clumsy and it's, it's hard to get used to, but at, at some level I've really enjoyed <laughs> kind of being challenged to make my way through some art galleries virtually this year. You know, there's, there's technology that I didn't even know existed until 2020 <laughs> to do that. And so, you know, getting to take a virtual tour through um, the Columbia art league or through um, Sager Broadus has been kind of cool. I, you know, I, I'm probably no more awkward online than I am in real life. And so, you know, I'll, I'll make the wrong turn somewhere in my virtual, <laughs> my virtual tour, or, you know, would have probably bumped my head against something had I pulled that off in real life. But, <laughs> but just to, to feel somewhat like you're in space with a piece and, and get close to it has been a really, a really fun thing. And yeah, it's not the same, but it's, it's been a cool option, you know, for those of us who just love to take our leisurely strolls through, through an exhibit. Um, I know that I've been to more readings than this, and, and there are just things escaping me right now, but not locally. A good friend of mine named Seth Wick, who's a poet in Texas, gave a virtual reading a few months ago that really honestly has been one of the most nourishing events that I've been to you know, for virtually this year. And literally, I mean, it was just him sitting, basically staring at me for an hour, or it seemed like he was staring at me for an hour, <laughs> reading these beautiful epic poems that were tying uh, his home in West Texas to the world of James Joyce and, and and family history and all of these things. And I don't know, just getting to immerse yourself in somebody else's words. Again, it's not the same. And you, you realize, oh, I'm in my basement, you know, every now and then you, you, you notice that, but you can kind of get yourself lost in the rhythm of somebody else's verse for a while. And that's, that's not such a bad thing. So I, I don't know, I'm sure there are other things that I could point to, but I don't know, just embracing the chance to hear others words and also to see art from a remove um it's done enough it's been it's been enough to keep me going and i'm i'm grateful for that well that brings me to a question kind of about what you're seeing around the country so besides writing for the columbia daily tribune you write for magazines you talk on podcasts across the country and you're seeing things across the country so with that national perspective how do you feel mid-missouri stacks up in terms of how the arts are handling these times because i'm sure that other communities are equally trying to engage their their audiences. Are you seeing any differences around the country? As best as I can tell, I think we're doing all right. You know, I, 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 I've never, and maybe, maybe my bias of living here for, you know, 12 or 13 years now is starting to creep in, but I, I've never, again, as best as I can tell, I've never really felt a huge disconnect between what's happening here and what's happening in the rest of the country, at least in terms of initiative, in terms of that creative problem solving that I talked about earlier. You know, certainly we don't have the 
resources of, you know, coastal, huge coastal metropolises. But like for what we have to work with, I feel like people are working really hard. And I feel like there's not a huge difference, honestly, between the Missouri Symphony airing classic classic concerts and what some other great concert halls have done. You know, it's it's not that big a difference. And so I've been really pleased with the amount of stuff that's come out of our area. Again, that I, I don't feel these creators owe us, but they've, they've just kind of stepped up and done what they feel like they've had to do. And, you know, with the amount of goodness, I, you know, I remember talking to Alex George a little bit, and I'm sure you've probably talked about this some on the show, but like the amount of people that they've been able to get to do readings at Skylark that probably they would not have were it not for this time, you know, uh, authors with, with national reputations that unless they just happen to be on tour and just happen to kind of be coming through close to Columbia probably would have never stopped in unless maybe it was for unbound, um, once a year, they've been able to provide folks who, who are paying attention with a, a pretty amazing lineup of literary voices. And so, I, yeah, I just see people putting their, putting their best guesses out there and, and, and kind of you know doing the work to back it up. And I, I feel like at least compared to the, you know, other communities that friends are living in and, and, you know, I hear dispatches from, I feel like we're, we're, we're hanging in there with everybody else. Um, and that's a real testament to the infrastructure that we have, honestly, the way that some of these cultural institutions have been backed for years, but also of course, just the, the initiative of the people who are running them. How has the pandemic, or maybe it hasn't, how has it changed how you report on the arts? <laughs> I laugh only because my natural introversion has just been fed through this time. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, the the writing part of it is the same. I'm talking to you from this upstairs office in our house, which is where I've written everything I've written for the last nine months. And frankly, this was the like room I loved the most when we bought this house. And I had to remind myself, you don't buy a house for the upstairs office. But I feel like <laughs> I've really gotten my money's worth this year. Um, so I appreciate that. You know, I mean, it's, I would say it's, if I had to put like, which you're not asking me to do, but, but like a, a percentage on it, I would say like 75 to 80% of what I do has remained relatively the same. I mean, the big differences are those moments where I can't just wander around a gallery for an hour, or I have done obviously so many more interviews via zoom or on the phone than in person. And I love, I've done this with you in the past. I love that opportunity to either sit in the space where somebody works or just sit across a table from somebody and have coffee and have those human moments, you know, because you really do connect with somebody differently, obviously in person when you can hear their voice, see their facial expressions, all of those things. So I feel like that part of it has changed, but it's been interesting just as we're all kind of dealing with these, um, you know, these facsimiles and these substitutes, um, every one of my interviews this year has, has either started or ended or both with, how are you really doing? You know, um, how's your family? Is everybody okay? Like, what's this been like for you? Almost like these little mental health checks with each other, um, both the source and me. And, and so on that level, I'm missing the human connection of, of being in that space with people, but we are connecting and we are finding new ways to take care of each other and, and, and feed each other a little bit, even in that. So I feel like maybe that's just a, a microcosm of the whole year that, a lot has stayed the same. Some stuff has changed, but the stuff that has changed has kind of been replaced with something else. And and I don't know if I'm ready to say that it's better or worse. It, it, it's just different. I feel like that leads me to, I should ask you, how are you really doing, Eric? <laughs> oh, no. I wasn't ready to talk about that. Um, 
you know, I'm, I'm like everybody else. I'm okay. You know, there are days where I think again, and part of this is because I am pretty naturally introverted. There are days when I think I could do this forever. It's going to be fine, you know, and, and we'll make it. Um, but there are days that are, yeah, obviously really difficult. And I've, I love my wife and my son very much, but I, I've never anticipated a moment where, you know, I would mostly only see them and be right next to them for, for nine months straight. And that's, that's just hard. And, and so I, yeah, it, it, it really just depends on the day. A lot of, a lot of the heaviness that I've personally felt over the last nine months has simply been sitting with the stories of other people, you know, who are, you know, thankfully we haven't gotten sick. Um, we, you know, we have a few friends and family members who have, but they've all been okay. You know, they've all recovered and, but, you know, sitting with the stories of, of friends I know who have lost work or who have family members who are you know, really sick or who have even passed away, you know, sitting with people who are, are just really wrestling and, and, and kind of fighting every day to have enough mental wellness to keep going. And I I think the accumulation of that has probably been the hardest thing for me when you feel like you can't do much other than offer, you know, a kind word or, or try to, you know, do your best to do the right thing uh, for public health so that maybe you're a little part of this, you know, you kind of chip away at this and it goes away sooner. But yeah, it's, it's really just a, a daily pendulum, but I would say the short answer is that I'm, I'm okay. I won't, I won't go better or worse than that right now, but I'm, 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 I'm all right. Well, I am very glad to hear it. Eric Danielson, arts writer for the Columbia Daily Tribune and so much more. Thank you so much for taking time to chat today. Uh, it's good to hear your voice. Thanks for, thanks for having me on. Last stop on this week's tour is Talking Horse Productions and it's artistic director, Adam Bretsky. Good morning, Adam. Good morning. So amidst the horrors of the year, you not only got a new job, you kept Talking Horse Productions alive and you got married to the gorgeous Cara. So 2020 in review, on a very personal level, more good memories than bad? Uh, well, I think you you said it. Like the, the good memories vastly outweigh the, the bad ones, at least for me personally. And I, I say that, of course, with uh, a very humble heart because I know for a lot of people, there have been some real bad memories this year and, and I don't take those lightly. But yeah, for me personally, it's been a very good year. And as far as the theater goes, it's been a very humbling year. When Rashar and I set out to plan our 2020 season, we had some very grand plans for what we wanted to do. And of course, it was a big year for us because it was the first year that we actually got to choose the season and the shows and pick our directors and do what I like to call the fun parts of the job. <laughs> and we got uh, we got one show under our belt before the world went <laughs> south. And uh, we kept kicking the can down the road thinking like, okay, well, we can we can mix up some plans and we'll move this show back a month and we'll move this show back a month and then we'll get everything in still. And the deeper and deeper we got into the year, the less that seemed possible. And here we are now in December and we got one show under our belt. <laughs> well, you got one show, but you had lots of other fun things. So, you know, obviously 
talking horse, like many, like almost all stages around the world, has only had a little ghost light lighting it all this year. Right. But you did such a great job, I think, of keeping, well, me personally entertained virtually. <laughs> so thinking about your role as artistic director of Talking Horse and the professional output of the year, what have you, what have been some of the highlights for you of the Talking Horse year? I would say one of the biggest highlights for us is seeing our creative friends and our creative groups really come together to think outside the box, to think about how we get the craft that we love into people's homes at, at a time where they can't come to us in the theater. And so we did a couple of different things throughout the year. We experimented quite a bit with things like the Reader's Theater and Gorilla Theater that you saw we did over Zoom. The Stable Boys came together and they did improv online. Who would have ever thought that that could have worked? We did some outdoor shows at Stevens Park, which was on the hottest day of the year. So, you know, that was a learning experience. <laughs> and then I think by far the greatest success that we had was in September when we did our original monologue contest, where we really looked at where our audience was and said, you know, nobody's really looking for a, a full stage drama to watch on their computer screen right now. We can meet them at uh, their social media and we can do these piecemeal monologues that are going to be great performances from writers that they haven't heard of, from original creators. And it was a huge success for us. We raised a lot of money for the theater based on people's donations and based on people's votes for which monologue they liked best. For me, definitely, the highlight of the talking course here was the, was the monologue contest. Was that everything that you hoped it would be? <laughs> well, so I don't know what I thought it was going to be at first. You know, when, when I started planning out this monologue contest, it was kind of this idea of, well, if we get 10, that's going to be a success. And before like a week of taking submissions, we had a monologue from New Zealand. We had one from the UK. We had two from Canada. And I was like, where are these people finding us from? I, I really, I could not wrap my head around it. By the time we closed the submission period, we had more submissions than we had local willing actors that were able to do monologues, which just, I mean, it completely exceeded my expectations. Now, the actual performance of the monologues, we had kind of expected to just do on Facebook and do that with donation leaks. And unfortunately, that didn't work out how we thought because Facebook is in the process of just changing their website every time we turn around. So... We're absolutely bringing a project like this back because it's just so cool and it's so representative of the talking horse image and what we strive to do. But when you see it again, and I can't say when, but probably springtime, we'll make some changes. So you'll be able to track how well a video is doing. You'll be able to track how well a performance is doing. We hope that you'll be able to get to know the authors a little bit better and we hope that all the monologues will be a little bit more consistent in terms of time frame and performance quality. So we learned a lot and you're going to see that going forward. I loved the fact that it was every day and it wasn't a huge time commitment. So you could just check in every day, see a little theater and, and, and then, yeah, vote on the ones that you liked. I thought it was really innovative and, and fun. Beyond Talking Horse within the theater world, locally, but, but maybe also nationally. What have you seen this year that really moved you or brought you joy? Well, you know, I think one of the things that's really brought me joy is just seeing how much theater and performing arts means to a lot of people. I think people are missing it right now. 
And we've seen a lot of high profile releases like uh, Hamilton that was on Disney earlier this year. I think the world kind of stopped around the 4th of July to watch that, especially when you consider that before that tickets for Hamilton were going for astronomical prices. And now everybody could have seen it, which is pretty incredible. Locally, I, I have to give a shout out to Elizabeth at Greenhouse Theater because, you know, she's had a tough year, too. And, you know, they've even lost their space. But the performances that they've created with uh, natural shocks that they did earlier this year, which was a one woman show that Elizabeth did completely on Zoom, just completely blew me away. I mean, just her dedication to the platform and really using Zoom, not as a crutch and not as a way of saying like, well, this is the best we can do, but as a way of saying, we're going to make this part of the piece. I think that's so incredible. And then just last weekend, they had their Christmas Carol, which was shot at uh, Bluebell Farms, which uh, of course, I'm a big talking horse guy, as everybody knows, but you have to check out Greenhouse because they just, they think on such a different level. It's incredible and inspiring. And that production is actually on again this weekend, so people can catch it uh, tonight, Saturday, and Sunday matinee if they missed it last week. One final question. I'm curious what theatrical innovations that have happened this year that you think might be keepers? Well, you know, we talked about the monologue contest. I hope that we bring that back every year now. Uh, I think you'll see that every year. It's just such a great way to get people involved that isn't a huge time commitment. We also learned a whole bunch with our Starting Gate Festival. This was the first year that we recorded that and then put it over a stream instead of just doing it in the theater. We think there's some opportunities there that we can get these original plays that we've helped cultivate into the the viewership more. One thing that I'm really excited about is we're still going to proceed with doing our show eBaby in February. And that show, which we'll talk about at a future date, was kind of made for this. A lot of the play takes place over Zoom and over internet videos. And so now instead of figuring out a way to stage how we're doing these internet videos, we just get to do it as designed. (laughs) Perfect. So do you have the whole season planned for 2021 or is it still a bit up in the air and wait and see what happens? It's very much up in the air. You know, we, we remained hopeful that Fun Home would be able to move to April of 2021. But the way things are right now, the less likely that seems. Now, where that might take place, because we had such a brilliant cast and and such great direction coming from that, I'd love to see the show happen some way, somehow, but everything is just up in the air. What we will do is continue to look at what's happening around us culturally and what's safe to do and deliver the best content we can. Well, Adam, you and Rashara do a fantastic job and I'm always excited when I see an email come from you to see what is happening. So thank you so much for all you have done in 2020 to keep theatre alive and I'm excited already for 2021. Thank you, Diana. And that is it for another week. I am so grateful to all the many, many artists and arts leaders who have made time to chat on the show this year. I have enjoyed every single conversation and you have given shape to my year. Thank you. (laughs) 
All the Speaking of the Arts episodes are available as podcasts, which you can hear at speakingofthearts.transistor.fm. Or you can also connect through the KOPN website at kopn.org. Thanks again to my guests today, Alex George from Skylark Bookshop, Kelsey Hammond from the Columbia Art League, Eric Danielson of the Columbia Daily Tribune, and Adam Bretsky from Talking Horse Productions. Thanks also to guitarist Yasmin Williams, whose song Restless Heart opens and closes the show. You can find more of her music on Spotify and on her website at yasminwilliamsmusic.com. Finally, thank you so much for listening. I'll be back next week on Christmas Day with a continuation of today's show and three more artists chatting about their year. Until then, stay arty, Columbia. Columbia.